One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here? You're surely man. You're very welcome along to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. A weekend that began with Brazil versus Chile ends with Greece versus Costa Rica. But it's okay. Even Greece against Costa Rica delivers eventually in this World Cup. It gave us penalties, which is, let's be honest, the entire point of the knockout rounds. Not only that, it gave us one of the highest quality penalty shootouts ever in the competition, maybe. Even the one that missed from Gekas needed a great save by Navas in goal for Costa Rica, who was sensational for the whole game. So well done to them. They're in the last eight of a World Cup. Unbelievable achievement. Brazil against Chile was a game, certainly I felt it did more than any other that I've seen so far to humanise the players out there. This is what the World Cup can do when it's at its best. And it's not just when they break down crying, as many players did at the end of that game, even before the end of that game. More simple things struck me. There was a moment a few minutes after the penalty shootout where the camera was focused on the supporters, which is a lovely mix of Chile and Brazil fans. The shot then pans out to reveal the Chile players who were walking away from the supporters having saluted them and all of that. Pan out a little further to reveal Claudio Bravo, the Chile goalkeeper, walking in the opposite direction. I don't know what he had been doing, but he was heading towards the fans to take their acclaim. And he had lost, but he competed heroically and was then connecting with all these supporters. It did strike me that this, this dream that we all have to play in a World Cup came home to me a little bit there. I was briefly imagining being that man in that moment. But enough of the corny stuff. Let's talk football. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. Ted Early in Recife, where you witnessed the heroics of the Costa Rican national football team. Oh, Costa Rica, the slayers of Europe. I've just sent a third European side packing after England and Italy. <clears throat> and uh, I think they're going to play Holland in the quarterfinals now, Owen. <sighs> if I was to be Van Gaal watching that match, I would be feeling pretty, pretty optimistic about getting to the semifinals of the World Cup because... Costa Rica are one of the tiredest teams I've ever seen. Uh, the, the really impressive thing, though, about them was that they managed to put away five penalties as coolly as you like, even though they could barely 
brawl uh, from the centre circle to the penalty spot. Um, so obviously doing something right on that front. They certainly looked really ridiculously tired on TV um, as soon as it, from the moment they went down to 10 men really, but an extra time, the last few minutes in particular, just hanging on in there. It, was it really noticeable being there? Yeah, oh, I mean, they were gone. I mean, the, the, there's no way Costa Rica should be in the quarterfinals here. This was Greece's match to lose. I mean, Greece dominated the match so completely after the sending off in the 66th minute. Um, Duarte, the centre-back for Costa Rica, got sent off. And from that point, Greece took control of the match. Costa Rica had two shots on target at the end. Greece, 13. I think 24 attempts overall to six for Costa Rica. So it was really total dominance. But ultimately, uh, inability to finish off chances from Greece. I mean, Samaras was, was barely a factor in the match. They brought on Mitroglu, uh, the Fulham. Another, so both sides had these Fulham, uh, failed Fulham centre-forwards. Uh, Brian Ruiz, who was brilliant for Costa Rica, and Mitroglu for Greece. But Mitroglu missed a great chance in the 121st minute. So Greece's whole thing, I mean, they, they, you know, whenever they've been successful in tournaments, it's because, they've, it's because they've been ruthless. It's because they've been able to put away the limited number of chances they create. Well, last night they made a lot of chances and uh, really only put away one of them. So they're gone. Yeah, they. but just to focus on Costa Rica for the time being, Ken, what struck me about the penalty shootout was even the guys who looked, in fact, both teams were, were, took great penalties, even the guys who looked like they might miss. I have to say, I, I felt Joel Campbell might, just l- looking at his facial expression as he went up to take it. Maybe I was reading too much into it, but he looked like a bag of nerves, and he slotted a particularly cool penalty home. The standard was incredible, compared to what we saw between Brazil and Chile, for example. I was convinced that uh, Joel Campbell was going to miss as well. I don't, know, I don't know what it was about the way that he uh, approached the penalty. I mean, he just looked like, as though he was having a nervous breakdown, and I was pretty sure uh, I was pretty sure that he was going to miss. And of course, um, uh, yeah, he slotted it away in the end pretty nicely. And poor old Gekas um, uh, has been the uh, has been the, the villain of the piece. But yeah, I mean, four other penalties taken. I mean, it was a bad it was a bad match. Uh, overall, I want to have to say, I mean, Costa Rica, um, you know, Costa Rica were actually the better team in the first half hour, and they looked as though they, they were actually going to win quite easily. Um, but then Greece ended up having better chances um, and sort of taking control of the match in the first half. But then it was just after halftime they scored. Brian Ruiz uh, with a great goal. It was one of those ones where it almost seems to go in in slow motion. The whole stadium is just going, oh, is he, the goalkeeper is not going to get that. And the goalkeeper, in fact, watches it into the court corner uh, and it looked as though uh, that was it but I think the sending off then really changed the game Costa Rica in the end really looking to go through Greece though uh, the lack of imagination that they had showed they did get their equaliser eventually in injury time but it did seem quite striking how maybe they're the type of team who having an extra man doesn't maybe confer the same advantage to them as it might for I'm thinking Holland earlier in the day I can only imagine the damage they would do with the likes of Robin up front if they, it doesn't really matter now I guess because Greece are gone so we don't need to talk about them too much more but I don't think anyone is really going to miss them too much in this tournament No um, well that's the thing about Greece is that they're uh, they're a difficult team to love um, a difficult team to beat as Costa Rica showed but you know, nobody particularly enjoys their style of football, which is fine. You know, they, they don't they don't play to entertain the world. They play to win matches for Greece, and when they don't, nobody cares that they're going home. Um, uh, you know, that's that's the way it is. It's not a, it's not uh, this isn't the kind of football that wins you friends. Sometimes it wins you matches. Sometimes it doesn't. So uh, last night it didn't, and uh, 
Goodbye, Greece, for another couple of years. You're not giving Costa Rica too much of a chance by the sounds of things, despite the fact they have a goalkeeper who seems to be on fire. They have players playing above themselves. None of these things are going to count for a jot when they come up against Holland. No, I don't think um, I don't think they've got enough to beat Holland. Uh, I mean, watching Holland uh, against uh, Mexico. Maybe they got a little bit lucky themselves, but ultimately I think it was the quality of Holland that, that made the difference. Um, it was, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Holland looked as though they were going to have an absolute nightmare. It looked as though at best they were going to have to do another half an hour in 35 degree plus heat. I mean, that was incredible to see at that game the, uh, the supporters moving from uh, the seats that were in direct sunlight to, to hide from the sun. Uh, running uh, or walking up to stand in shaded areas of the stadium because it was impossible for them to sit in the direct sunshine that the players had to play in. And in that context, I thought it was all the more incredible that poor Iron Robin, uh, with his bald head exposed to the elements, seemed to call on just incredible reserves of stamina and energy, such that he was still at the very end trying to dribble past Mexico players in the box and eventually... Uh, winning a penalty. I mean, he should have had a penalty in the first half. Uh, I mean, there was enough fouls on him to give away two penalties at one point, um, and it wasn't given, I suppose, because Robin has a way of... I mean, he did throw himself to the ground and pretend to be injured in a way that he was, and the referee thought, no, I think I think he's faking there, uh, when in fact Robin did deserve a penalty. But the fact that he was still able to do that, when Robin van Persie had been withdrawn, clearly exhausted, and Huntelaar put on for him, uh, that Robin was still able to dribble, still able to try and beat players, is, a, I think, a testament to the condition that he's got himself in for the World Cup. Well, Simon Cooper was watching this, Simon, and we'll get to Robin specifically, but Van Hal was quick to claim some credit afterwards. He said that he used the water break to rejig the tactics. Sounds more like a timeout in American football or any of those American sports, really. Would you give the credit to Van Hal or to Robin himself or to the players? Uh, I give a lot of credit to Van Gaal, but I think also just this was a game where Holland had the best of players. They were the better side, which I didn't feel against Chile or against Spain. I think there the tactics were more significant. I mean, my sense of what he did in the water break was uh, Kane became the outside right and Snyder started to play just outside the box because, as we later saw, he has one of the best shots in the world. So, you know, if he gets the ball there, he's going to score. And um, Huntelaar came in in the Dutch tradition of bringing in a kind of big centre-forward to score in these moments. So um, I think the, the tactical changes were fairly obvious. And uh, it's just that we are better than Mexico. And I think the win in this case was totally deserved. I also want to say I'm slightly surprised by people accusing Robin of diving. And it's true, you know, he gratefully went down when he was fouled again in the Mexican penalty area. But there doesn't seem to me to be much argument about the fact he was fouled by Marquez. Yeah, I thought so as well. I didn't think it was as bad as, as many dives we have seen and probably will continue to see. Just on, what, always, what strikes me more about Robin is... The stamina the guy has, everyone knows about his skill and all these things, but the stamina and durability to keep getting into those positions. And I suppose maybe we hark back to the Chelsea days when it's so long ago now and it's so ridiculous to think how people questioned his his ability to do that kind of thing on a consistent basis. But he, where does his stamina come from, do you think? I think from Bayern Munich. I mean, it's true in his early days, he was a very fragile player. And, you know, he's a kind of sprinter body, fast switch muscle which often leads to breakdown, like with Michael Owen. 
And when and so he, he would break down a loss and he was always injured. And when he came to Bayern, he now has weekly medical checkups. He sees an osteopath also every week. And he's obviously in better physical condition than he's ever been. I mean, he's built a kind of muscle casing for that very fragile body. And the guy can just keep going. I mean, it was over 30 degrees, which is why they were having water breaks. And um, he's 30 years old. And he's a rare example of a sprinter who's become better and more strong in later life. Yeah, I think I'm right in saying that Wolfhart, the Bayern doctor, is also the German team doctor. I could be wrong on that, but if he is, he might be. He might end up helping Holland to win at this World Cup rather than rather than Germany, if that's the case. But the tactical changes that you talked about there, as you say, there were obvious enough things to do. So it sounds like you're not getting bowled over by Van Hal's input so far, because I've seen a lot of people talking about him as maybe the coach of the tournament, but yet there still I seems to be some criticism. The you, you do think he is, yeah? Well, I think he proved that more in the Spain and the Chile games, because, I mean, the Mexican game is fairly a fairly standard situation. Uh, Holland had the better players. The Mexicans fall back. They're not good at keeping the ball. Their defence has flaws. And so you throw players forward, and uh, Kate was able to transition easily from fullback to his natural position up front. Snader moves 15 yards forward, and uh, you bring on Hintler. I mean, that's what most coaches would have done. I think where Fonchal showed his greatness as a coach, as, as a tactical coach, was against Spain, where they obviously had better players. And you play five at the back, you suck them forward. And it had to a certain extent happen with Chile as well. And you create a system, which he's done, where Robin gets the ball 50 metres from goal, which is great because he can accelerate. He's got room to accelerate. Whereas when he's played for Bayern Munich, like at Chelsea, he was typically getting the ball 20, 30 metres from goal. So he doesn't have room to accelerate. And that wasn't the way the Mexican game played out because, you know, we were on their half, so there wasn't room for Robin. But the tactical system for Hal devised was to allow this team of feeble defenders where they giving them extra backup by having five at the back and creating space for Robin up front. And Holland, because they have two great strikers, Robin and Von Persie, we're going to score a very high percentage of our chances, and you've seen that in the tournament so far. Van Persie, of course, wasn't there at the end of this game, having been substituted. The relationship between himself and Van Hal is so strong, you would think that maybe this isn't an issue. I'm sure Van Persie doesn't like getting subbed, but he wasn't going to make a big deal about it. No, I mean, I imagine he was just, uh, he was finished. I mean, to play in that heat, uh, Falchal must have made the judgment that Van Persie, who's a player he totally respects, respects and trusts, just didn't have enough left in the tank. The type of game you described there, the chasing a team like Mexico in the heat, and I know player for player, as you say, Holland had the edge, but to get that, the job done in those conditions, is that the type of victory you think that should give this Dutch team the confidence that they can actually grind it out here as well as playing the amazing football that they played in the first round that they really they're well set in this World Cup now well I think we played amazing football in the second half against Spain and that's it and the rest is ground out against the superior Chile uh, ground out against Australia and again today so I think we came here expecting to grind it out not expecting beautiful football and there's an advantage in that because Holland, when they're good, they have a tendency to get arrogant. Uh, you saw that in 1998, 2000, uh, 1992, that team thought they were so good. This team, because it knows it doesn't have much talent other than the front three, this team will be totally focused on grinding it out, knowing that we're not good enough to win another way. OK, Simon, we'll leave it there. Listen, great, great. Thanks for talking. Thank you. Ken, what do you think? Just to go back to Simon's point there, that Van Hal, while this wasn't necessarily his biggest achievement of the tournament, he has been the best coach there so far. Coach of the World Cup. Yeah. Um, well, he has. 
I suppose there haven't really been too many coaches offering great competition. Um, I mean, well, there's been some great teams. Haven't Colombia been superb? Surely their coach gets a bit of a bit of a nod there, no? Yes, yes, I think so. Although it's, it seems to me maybe to be the players who are doing it. I mean, maybe Sampaoli, the coach of Chile, who of course were beaten by Brazil. I think maybe he uh, deserves a bit of credit. The Mexico coach Herrera obviously became a sort of celebrity, but I think that has more to do with his um, <laughs> touchline demeanor rather than um, rather. Than than any miracles that he was actually, tactical miracles that he was performing. I mean, what Van Hal has done is, uh, first of all, destroy Spain. I mean, crush Spain in, in a manner that nobody could have foreseen. Having devised a tactical system specifically to do that, um, come on, he, came, he essentially thought about it for a while and came up with something new that nobody would have expected Holland to do with five at the back, something which hasn't really been particularly popular in Holland, obviously, uh, and yet completely destroyed uh, Spain with that, then played a different type of game against Chile where um, they had most of the ball and Holland ended up winning on the sort of rope-a-dope. And now against Mexico, having gone 1-0 down, uh, his side fight back to, to win a game late on. So they've shown all different... They've, they've shown they're, they're capable of several different things, uh, this Holland side. You thought, you've also got the fact that, you know, player, a player like Wesley Snyder, who maybe this time last year looked finished at the top level, is... Uh, Clearly, you know, fit enough, and he's there. He's going to be able to possibly be a big player in the closing rounds of the World Cup. Uh, you've got Van Persie in great shape. You've got Robin playing the football of his life. Um, all of these things are going right for Holland, and it can't really be a coincidence. I think Van Gaal must get a lot of the credit. I'm sure the Brazilian public are all politely watching these matches involving other nations, Ken, so long as Brazil remain in the tournament, as they do just by the... Uh, width of a crossbar after the game against Chile. Incredible stuff. Where did you watch the game? I watched the game in a in a kind of an old Portuguese, in the, in the old city centre of Recife, in this old uh, market, kind of an open-air market, uh, which, which is usually all these sort of market stalls, apparently selling fruit and stuff. But on this occasion, uh, for a match like that, they all turn into bars and um, everybody is there sort of packed into this uh, open-air, well, most actually covered with various canopies and there's trees and things to keep the sun off and I, I did have an idea of what it was like for those people in Fortaleza by uh, seeing a couple of people who ended up having to sit in the direct sunlight while this match was on and watching them slowly melt um, was almost a disturbing experience it doesn't matter how much sun, uh, sunscreen you put on if you're sweating so much that it washes straight off mm-hmm. as soon as uh, you put it on so um, pretty, pretty disturbing scenes but uh, yeah, interesting to watch a Brazil match like that. I mean, it was a strange crowd. It was a, yeah, I mean, I, I say a strange crowd. It wasn't a strange crowd really, but it was mainly the women doing the shouting and screaming. The men seemed to watch in sort of stoical silence, but the women were screaming um, uh, whenever Brazil uh, would attack and then, and whenever it looked likely they would concede a goal, which was quite a lot because Chile completely outplayed them. Um, but then at the end, just this absolute delight. I mean, there wasn't any, didn't seem to be anybody sort of standing around and going, well, that was awful. Now, what's Big Phil doing? You know, look at Big Phil walking around on the field, sobbing and clutching the heads of his players uh, and sort of communing with them on a, on a, clearly on an emotional level and see, see, seeming to really play up to this idea of him as being the father of the squad, you know, going around and clutching his children to his breast. Um, but another really clueless sort of display from Brazil, the kind that really makes you doubt whether they've got what it takes to win the World Cup, against that, the result... 
the result, which is all that anybody cares about here, by the way, they don't care about good football. I mean, if Brazil have have lost their image as being the team that plays beautiful football, it's probably because nobody in Brazil actually cares about that at all. They've got the kind of team that they deserve. The only thing that they care about is winning. So they've got a team that only cares about winning and not about style. Okay, they managed to do that against Chile. Not really a win as such, a penalty win, but the kind of maybe trial by fire that a team that's going to win the World Cup needs at some point. Maybe the kind of result, you know, an unjustified um, progression to the quarterfinals. Um, but maybe the kind of result, maybe the kind of circumstances that make a team feel, yeah, you know, we believe this is going to be our year. I'd just be concerned. I would be concerned that Neymar is going to break down physically. The rest of them are going to break down emotionally, a certain a number of them. Neymar is just... The fact that he seemed to pick up a knock during the game actually stunted his movement a little bit, little bit, which is probably no bad thing. The guy covers so much ground and does so much else besides his chief playmaking duties. What's happened to Oscar, by the way? Shouldn't he be sharing the playmaking burden? He was pretty good for the first game. He seems to have disappeared. Yeah, Oscar got lots of credit after the first game. Everyone was saying that he and not Neymar should have been man of the match. And the fact that Neymar got man of the match was just because he'd scored two goals and people don't understand football and they need to watch the game. And if they had, they'd see that Oscar was the best Brazil player. And maybe there was an element of truth to that, but Oscar hasn't done anything really since that first game. Uh, he's, we've seen again the sort of Chelsea Oscar, the ineffectual Oscar flittering around the periphery of of matches not really doing much. I mean, Hulk is the one who who really I question. And yet yesterday, after halftime, Hulk was by far Brazil's best player. And he was taking the game to uh, Chile almost single-handed. And maybe it was a game in a strange way that suits him, that plays to his strength, because I don't think Hulk is really much of a team player. Um, he's, a, he's an individualist. He's a guy who can do things on his own. And yesterday, that was the only, or on Saturday, it was the only way that Brazil were going to um, that Brazil were going to achieve anything was was really with an individual burst from a player like Hulk. I mean, I think what we saw was that uh, as the game went on, and especially as it went into extra time, Hulk almost seemed to be like a guy playing in an under 16s match who was older than everybody else. Okay. He just had these extra reserves of power and uh, and energy, and that that made him more and more a factor in the game as everybody else got tired and he just didn't seem to tire at the same rate. So you can't question the guy's athleticism, which I suppose you could do with Oscar, but maybe you can question his skill. I mean, overall, I think, I think you know, maybe Oscar's got not enough of the kind of power that Hulk has and Hulk just hasn't, has, hasn't got quite enough of the skill that Oscar has. Um, between them, they're just not quite cutting it. They're just not quite the kind of players that you would expect Brazil to have. And then when you've got a set of forward like Fred, who's an okay guy for keeping shape and you know he'll be able to bundle in a, a header from four yards but he doesn't look like he's going to do anything for them it's really all about Neymar and I just don't know if it's, it's not fair to burden a player with, with so much responsibility for such a I mean it's it's incredible to, to consider the pressure that he's under the whole country this is a vast country and it's the single obsession of everybody in the country at the moment and if they lose if if they go out it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be an emotional crash. I mean, consider that everybody in Brazil gets a holiday when they play. Suddenly everyone has to go back to work. I mean, how sickened is everybody going to be? Usually when, a foot, when, when your team loses a football match, you know, it's bad, but it doesn't really matter. In this case, it means forget about your holidays. There's people in Brazil get, banking, on, uh, banking on holidays will be delivered by uh, Neymar and Co. And that may not happen. So, I mean, that alone 
it is a weighty responsibility. If you compare that their emotional level, Ken, to that of Colombia, who just keep hammering every team they play, admittedly not the best sides in the tournament, doing a little dance in the corner and moving on to the next victim, cool as you like. I mean, Jay, well, James, whatever we call this man, it, it's just, he's like an assassin. He's just, he's, they're, they're just so cool so far. Maybe it's only because they haven't been in tense situations yet, but they seem to be enjoying it a hell of a lot more than the Brazil players did. Yeah, they are. And it's, it's, it's right what you say about it. Uh, I'm going to call him James. I'm not going to call him James uh, Rodriguez. James Rodriguez, that one, is, uh, is clearly a phenomenal player playing with that kind of coolness that maybe Neymar was able to show last year in the Confederations Cup. But I think Colombia haven't, as you know, they haven't played a good side yet. I mean, they played Uruguay the other night without Luis Suarez. And the Uruguay team feeling very sorry for themselves and convinced that, uh, you know, FIFA is against them, the world is against them. And really without the ability, once Colombia had taken the lead, they just weren't good enough to get back into the game. And I think Colombia knew that and Uruguay knew that. And it was an easy game for Colombia. Against Brazil, it's going to be a completely different game. Uh, the Guardian, so, you know, I mean, yeah. sorry to cut across again. I'm just going to make the point: the Guardian have reported that he was offered to Manchester United for five million pounds. I think that is as a teenager. Manchester United never got back to his representatives, and ultimately they bought Bebe a few weeks later. Well, there's all kinds of stories like that, aren't there? I mean, wasn't Fal- Falcao? I'm pretty sure was offered to somebody in the English league, possibly Villa. Before he went to Porto, another the other Colombian superstar striker, um, you know, for uh, for a small amount of money. I mean, every player is going to be available at a at a small price at some point in his career. It's just a question of whether your uh, whether your club has the force. I mean, it's it's very difficult to tell. There's a, there's an entire industry devoted to finding out which one of these you know thousands of young players is going to turn out to be someone like Falcao or James Rodriguez. And who's going to be, you know, Juan Pablo Angel? Maybe that was what Villa were thinking when they decided to... Um, was it Martin O'Neill who turned down Falcao? I think it was. I think it was. I think that's the story that I've, that I've heard, that he was offered to Villa, but O'Neill was the manager, and, and O'Neill decided that, no, it was, it was a bit of a risky move. And in fairness to O'Neill, it's difficult to... You, you can't just say, well, look, you know, Falcao scored all these goals for Porto and Atletico and ended up going to Monaco for 50 million. Uh, therefore... Uh, idiotic decision not to sign him. Okay, it probably would have been better if they had signed him, but at the time, there's no, not necessarily any way of of knowing just what a great player you're missing out on. I guess it was obviously the same with uh, Rodriguez and Manchester United. Tonight's games, we've got France against Nigeria. I mean, uh, sorry, yeah. sorry, and I think I think the one the one that really would be more uh, more questionable, and I think. I think you're going to ask me about France next from Manchester United's point of view would be Paul Pogba he was a player they actually did have they actually had him on their books he was there at the club for a couple of years now he's playing for Juventus he's playing for France he's a top international player the fees that they're talking about you know quoting for this guy who looks set to be one of the best midfielders in Europe for the next 10 years they're talking about 50 million euros for him and this is a player Manchester United had and had the opportunity to work with and train with and watch up close so if there was any player that I'd criticise for them letting get away from him in a young age at a low price it would probably be Pogba rather than Rodriguez yeah so it's France Nigeria and Germany Algeria does Didier Deschamps not have a shout to be the best coach of this tournament so far he has France purring again like a kitten <laughs> um, yeah, now they, he has uh, he has done a very good job. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I don't think it's been quite on the 
level of Van Gaal because I don't think France have been challenged in the way that Holland have. I don't think they've had to overcome the various situations that Holland already have. Um, so maybe Deschamps hasn't had the chances Van Gaal has had to show the full range of what he's bringing to this team. That said, he has managed to put together a really well-balanced side. He's got players playing really well together. And they're not a team that anyone's going to want to play. I expect them to beat Nigeria really easily. I think the match between Germany and, uh, Germany and France, which is likely to be the quarterfinal, if they both win their, their matches, and you'd have to say, you'd have to favour Germany to beat Algeria. Although, Algeria are a better side, in my opinion, than Nigeria. That's a tougher game for Germany than the one that France have. Uh, and obviously, there's this historical factor too, which I'm sure is going to be talked about a lot in the build-up to this, that being that Germany sort of conspired with Austria to kick Algeria out of the 1982 World Cup. I mean, Algeria managed to get knocked out of that World Cup having won two of their three group games, which doesn't happen very often. And that was thanks to the connivance of the Germans with the Austrians. So a big match for Algeria to win and the, and the promise of a huge match for them then against France in Rio. This is the biggest possible route they could be taking to the final. But I would expect it to be Germany and France contesting that quarterfinal and uh, by no means, uh, by no means certain that, that Germany will, will be the winners of that one in Rio. Right, deep breath, Ken. Deep breaths all round, and we'll look forward to those games. Incredible stuff over the weekend. We are going to be putting another show out, of course, for you later on today. We'll have plenty of reaction from the weekend's GA, Dublin and Meath in particular, setting up a Leinster final with themselves. So that'll be out a little bit later on. All the usual methods there you can uh, of downloading and listening to that one. You can also follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. Thank you again. We'll talk to you later. Thanks very much, Alan. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Hope you enjoyed. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Oh, that makes such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. He <laughs> was fucking dreadful. Sorry, yeah. we're not here. Oh, we're not, are we? We are. Oh. Well, I apologise for that. Prophecy. That's it. They didn't exactly do it. All right. How is that? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.